You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. I don't know why he's entrusted, you know, something so precious as the preaching of the gospel to human instruments, right? But nevertheless, he has. But you can be sure that if you're involved in this activity, in laboring in God's harvest, that you will have great success. Certainly, as Abraham was to be able to possess the land of Canaan. As Pastor Mike continues his teaching series through the book of Genesis, he'll be reminding you how God will always enable you and empower you to obey His Word. God doesn't command you to do something without giving you the power to accomplish it. Sure, He will ask things of you that require you to take a step of faith, but He's faithful to meet you where you are and help you succeed. As you abide in Jesus the vine, you'll bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide you and empower you. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 13 as he continues his message, Lift Your Eyes, Arise, and Walk. Before he cries out for Lazarus to come forth, he raises his head towards heaven. And in John's Gospel in chapter 11, in verse 41, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. You know, when he, and when he got there on the scene, you know, there were, there were great lament, lamenting going on. The people were crying and, uh, because of the, the love that they had uh, for uh, Lazarus. And, and the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. Now, why did Jesus weep? This is, you know, this is interesting, and this has been open uh, to speculation for a long time. A lot of people you know, have, uh, have misinterpreted Jesus weeping when he actually got to the tomb uh, where Lazarus uh, had been buried. He died and was placed in that tomb. You see, he saw the fruit and the result of Lazarus's passing. He knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. What do you think? He was surprised about what he was going to do, right? He looked around, all of those people, and particularly Martha and Mary, whom he loved greatly. Remember, he had this special bond and relationship with these two individuals, as well as with Lazarus. But he saw the effect of his death upon these people whom he loved, and it broke his heart. And thus he entered into their grief. And he began to weep, the Bible tells us. He wasn't surprised at what he was about to do. But nevertheless, he took a moment, 
and then he looked towards the heavens, and he declared, John 11 and verse 41, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And then after his quick prayer, right, he called and he says, Lazarus. They rolled away the stone, and then he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And that, man, I tell you something, that must have been some scene, right? Lazarus came forth like the mummy, right? You know, wrapped in the, the grave clothes. And he stinketh, as the Bible tells us as well. He had already expired three days there in the tomb. So anyway, the point is, are you weary? Well, simply tell God about it. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 7, in verses 7 and 8, there we are told, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Let me give you another cross-reference. James chapter 4 and verse 2. You do not have simply because you do not ask. Could it possibly be as simple as that? As you look up to God the Father? You know, the way things are playing out in your life's experience? You want to change those things? Nothing's changed? Well, have you looked up to God the Father? Have you brought your request before Him? Right? You don't have because you simply don't ask. So what are those things that are lacking right now in your life? Is it wisdom? Maybe you're standing at a crossroads. You don't know which way to turn. You're considering a new job situation. Uh, Moving back out to California. Getting involved in this relationship with someone of the opposite sex. Whatever. Going back to school, the further your education. Whatever. Uh, You're looking for a church. You're standing at a crossroads. Well, simply lift up your eyes towards God the Father and ask Him to resolve some of those questions for you. And He will give you the wisdom. He'll give you the understanding. He'll provide for you the strength that is necessary. Listen, God wants to give good gifts to His children. And that's exactly who you are. Our failure is with us. How? Because we're simply failing to lift up our eyes. You know, this absence of asking may explain why there are some who are weak in their faith, their understanding, and their testimony, and also their service to God. Perhaps the answer is that that person has simply failed to ask God for those blessings. You know, R.A. Torrey, a great commentator, great writer, Uh, said on the subject of looking towards God, he said, and I quote, we do not live in a praying age. We live in an age of hustle and bustle, of man's efforts and man's determination, of man's confidence in himself and his own power to achieve things, an age of human organization, human machinery, push, uh, scheming, achievement, which in the things of God means no real achievement at all. And then he goes on to conclude, what we need is not so much some new organization, some new wheel, but the spirit of the living God in the wheels we already possess. Now the next, so we need to lift up our eyes to God the Father. But we are also exhorted and encouraged in the scriptures also to lift up our eyes to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, here's a cross-reference for you, in chapter 12, in verses 1 through 3, 
Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what are those clouds of witnesses? All of the Old and New Testament saints. We're to learn from their experience, their walk with God. That's the cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. You know, just pass it, slip it on over to the Lord. The Bible tells us, let us cast all of our care, our burden upon him, because he cares for you. So great a cloud of uh, witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking unto Jesus. Folks, that's how we do it. Every burden that we're shouldering, everything that we're carrying, right? All of the confusion, all of the questions, all of the sin. Just look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our, not only the author, by the way, but also the finisher. That which he began, folks, you can be sure he will complete. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. But you see, the problem is, is that we are so easily distracted by other visions, by other voices and loyalties. You know, I, I couldn't help but think of that experience that uh, John and James, or was it John and Peter, I forget, on the Mount of Transfiguration? It's recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 17, in verse 8. And uh, remember, it's sort sort as if the two disciples are put into a time capsule, catapulted into the future, and they see Jesus in his glorified body. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration. And alongside of Jesus, in his glorified body, are Moses and Elijah speaking to him. And so they're so over, it was, it was Peter and John. And they're so overwhelmed that, of course, it would be Peter, right? Old impetuous Peter, always talking off the top of his head. Boy, I tell you something, I can relate to Peter. I'm sure many of you could relate to him as well. The highs, the lows, right? The sideways. Peter is an amazing and interesting character study. So he didn't know how to respond. He didn't know what to say. And so he says, first of all, it is good that we are here. Let us build three tabernacles so that we might worship. And of course, that was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, there, would have been, there should have been no reason whatsoever to build a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah, okay? So anyway, that whole scene, as it's playing out, is wonderfully interrupted by God the Father himself. And Peter and John hear this voice coming from heaven, which declares, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, hear him. Folks, that's exactly what we need to do. With all of the voices in the world, you know, telling us this is where it's at. This is what we need to do, right? This is the true meaning of life. It only adds to our confusion. We need to hear Jesus. We need to look up to him. This incident here that's recorded for us, known as the Mount of Transfiguration, is for us. 
We live in the world of many voices that come from the world, that come through the flesh, that come from the devil. And the reason we, we may be ineffective as Christians is that we listen to them. So what's the cure? Well, simply, we need to lift up our eyes to Jesus, to listen to him, to listen to him alone. But then also in the scriptures, we are exhorted to look up and see God's harvest. And this will be the last uh, component of this. But we are, as you know, we are exhorted in the scriptures to look up and see God's harvest. For example, in John chapter 4, verses 35 and 36. Do you not say these are still four months and then comes the harvest? You know, if, if think about this. And I'll use this. And, so, and I, I've used this illustration a hundred times before. You're probably sick of me using it. But because of the fact that we are New York Christians and God knows how difficult it is to be a Christian in New York with all of the temptations, 24-7, the city that never sleeps, right? So God sees us as a special group of Christian, and so highly favored by God. So let's say, just to make the point, that in a service like this one, all of a sudden, as I'm preaching, it's wonderfully interrupted by an angel. And that angel, maybe it's Michael, maybe it's Gabriel, maybe it's one or the other, who knows. But he says, you know, because you guys are highly favored of the Lord, God wants to give you a head up. And the trumpets are going to blow, and the rapture is going to take place in two weeks. In two weeks. So because of all of the difficulties of being a Christian in New York City, we just wanted to give you a head up, heads up, because you're highly favored of God. And the other guys, we're just going to leave it to their own. But I know how difficult, so we want to give you a head start on this sort of thing. Okay, now, what would you do in the next two weeks? You would, you would make so sure that everything is in its proper place. But, you know, here's the thing. Jesus could come back for his church in two weeks. Those trumpets may sound. We might be caught up, right? Think about it. There's going to be some interval of time when the rapture takes place, a period of two weeks. You just never, there's going to be a period of time, it's going to be two weeks before the rapture is going to take place. And maybe I'm a prophet. <laughs> Who knows, right? All right. So anyway, a plug for Harvest America again. I thought I'd just lay that guilt trip on you. No, I, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Now, in context, when Jesus made this statement, what's chapter 4 of John all about more than anything else? In our cast of characters in the Bible, we're introduced to who? The Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, right? And uh, there's been so much written about that meaning between our Lord and the Samaritan woman. So in context, Jesus, I didn't even finish this. Let's continue on here. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. For they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. That's it. Okay. All right. Now, in context, I want you to understand that this is recorded, and it has to do with Jesus being in Samaria 
at Jacob's well. He has this divine appointment with this woman who is an immoral woman. And so prior to this meeting, this divine appointment, he sends his disciples back into the city, right, for lunch, for some food, and then he meets this woman at Jacob's well. Well, you know how the story goes. He provoked her curiosity, revealed to her his messiahship, and then ultimately led her to faith. And she's so excited about who Jesus is that she runs back herself into the city to tell everybody that she possibly could, probably members of her immediate family, first of all, I'm sure, that she had met the Savior, that she had met the one whom the scriptures prophesy about. Now, remember, he had sent his disciples into the city for food. He was alone there at Jacob's well where he encountered this woman. Now they're returning. And upon once again catching up with Jesus, and in passing, this woman is now going in the opposite direction, the disciples are distraught. And, he, and they're wondering, what, you know, why did he even meet with this Samaritan woman? And you've got to understand that culture. The Samaritans had nothing to do with the Jews, and the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. Well, Jesus used this instance to teach his disciples something about their mission. Thus, we have that text of Scripture that we just read. You see, even Christ's disciples were blind to the harvest, though the harvest was heading right towards them. She, in fact, did go back to the city. She got as many people as she possibly could and then brought them back themselves to meet with Jesus. But the disciples, all that they were concerned about was eating lunch. You know, the equivalent of that would be you know, our own personal needs. The things that accommodate our flesh, right? Those are the things that I think many of us, and at times myself as well, are too preoccupied with, rather than the harvest of God, you see. Those are the things that we are to consider. Those are the things that we are to look up to. They were blind to the harvest, though the harvest was heading right towards them. Little did they know that as this woman brought whoever it was that she could to meet Jesus. They were thinking about lunch. They were thinking about their stomach, whatever. They weren't looking up. Gang, listen to me. The harvest was ripe then, and it's just as much today, if not more. So let me ask you this question. Are you aware of the moving of the Spirit of God in our lives, in the times in which we live, in the city in which we live, on the campus of the university where you attend, at your workstation? Are we awake to those opportunities? If not, what's the answer? Simply look up. And also let me add that this harvest is to be our just, is to be ours just as certainly as the land of Canaan was to be Abraham's. You can be sure that you're going to have great success. I don't know why God has chosen human instruments for this evangelistic work of ours. I mean, he could do it with angels. In fact, during the seven years of tribulation, the Bible tells us that the angels of God are flying 
across the heavens proclaiming the gospel, the same gospel that I'm proclaiming to you this morning. I don't know why he's entrusted, you know, something so precious as the preaching of the gospel to human instruments, right? But nevertheless, he has. But you can be sure that if you're involved in this activity, in laboring in God's harvest, that you will have great success. Certainly, as Abraham was to be able to possess the land of Canaan. And true, we may not see the full fruit of our efforts in our lifetime. You know, think about Abraham. He didn't live to see his own seed possess the entire land of Canaan. Right? So maybe the things that we labor to instill within our children will pay those dividends. We might not be around. You know, I think of my own five children. Uh, four of them are here this morning and are members of this congregation. And I think of the seed that we planted within them so long ago and how that now it's bore fruit, you know, to God's glory. And uh, praise the Lord that I've lived long enough to see that. But now my grandchildren, and now my kids are planting the seed of the gospel in their own children. And who knows, maybe there'll be some great-grandchildren if the, you know, if the Lord sees fit to, you know, to keep me here for that extent of time. But then notice, and which is the second part, and we're going to end with this, in the instruction, not only are we to lift up our eyes to all of those things we've been talking about this morning, but then God also instructed Abraham to arise and walk. So what does that suggest to us? Well, there's an activity involved here. We are to be aggressive, not passive. You see that? There's activity involved. If you want to possess the land, if you want to achieve you know, the blessings of God, well, there has to be activity. You can't be passive. You can't just sit in those seats and do nothing. You want to see this place full? You want to see people come to Christ? You want to see whatever you put your hand to prosper? There has to be aggressive activity, right? We possess the land step by step. You know, when God was instructing Israel through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 24, he said, everywhere you set your foot will be yours. So when Israel walked around an acre, they possessed an acre. So listen, we don't do this without an effort. We don't accomplish anything that's lasting, that's eternal, for God's glory without an effort. And it's one by one and with great effort. But those one by ones, folks, do come. And when they come, God is honored. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, 
We see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Not be troubled.